0: Everyone has their own unique views and needs when it comes to financial success. If you'd like to leave your financial woes behind and live a life of financial freedom, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Saving with Steve show, hosted by Steve Sexton. The show will help you with the ins and outs of money. We talk about financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars and keeping you up at night. We talk about money, tax reduction, saving more, spending less. 401ks, risk management, retirement, and everything under the sun that relates to you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. Now, here is your host of Saving with Steve, Steve Sexton.
1: Hello, welcome to the saving with Steve show where we talk about the ins and outs of money, pretty much everything under the sun that relates to you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. I want to thank you for joining us today. Well over 600,000 viewers just here in the United States. We've recently become involved with UK Health Radio. In fact, in a very short period of time, we already have another 44,000 viewers or streamers that are there in the UK and through another 56 countries, which we're really excited about. Today, we're definitely talking about money. You know, a recent study from salary.com says 48% of people said they're always apprehensive about the negotiation process. Whether they realize it or not, negotiation is a common activity in our lives. We do it all the time. However, it's so common, why do we dread negotiating? Well, many people are afraid to negotiate for a variety of reasons. Lack of preparation, not understanding the negotiation process, not knowing strategy or tactic that they can deploy during negotiation, don't worry, we have managing partner Andreas Lars from the Shapira Negotiation Institute to help us understand what's happening and the strategy we can deploy. One of the big facts that came out recently from the Better Business Bureau, $3.4 billion was lost due to fraud in the last three years. In fact, according to the FBI, $475 million was lost due to online scams. We're gonna talk to you about some of those online scams a little bit later, but now I wanna talk to you a little bit about David Parker. David Parker began his career in education at the age of 24, served students of the San Francisco Inner City Public Elementary School for 40 years as a music teacher, followed by 10 years as a volunteer. While pursuing his career in education, Dave Park also became a very successful real estate investor. Not only that, but David is an accomplished musician. He spent 20 years as a member of the Berkeley Symphony Orchestra, 15 years as the leader of the David Parker Sextet, which has headlined at the San Francisco Fillmore Jazz Festival. His new book is titled Income and Wealth. Dave, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I as a financial consultant, have worked with many, many school teachers in the middle school, high school, college levels. It's interesting. Everybody in that system, like I love the system. I've been here for more than five or six years. I'm working towards a pension. I have one right now. She's trying to figure out what her pension will be and if she'll get her health care paid for at 33 years, all that kind of stuff. They all have chosen to rely on their teacher's pensions. One of the things that I realized with people that have been in that system and have been retired for a while, they don't have a gigantic amount of savings saved. So if they have life events, health events, they could put themselves in a tough situation. You're different from all those people. You chose to simultaneously become a real estate investor.
2: Where did your thinking change? How did that all come about for you, David? Well, I guess in childhood, I was fascinated at the age of 12. A waiter at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco, famous hotel, died, and they discovered he was a multimillionaire. And I says, At age 12, how is that possible? He's only a waiter. Then as my first teaching job, I was talking to the custodian in in his little corner, discussing Pavarotti and Italian food. And had he not revealed to me, I wouldn't have known. But he says, I'm not being a custodian for the money. I love coming to school and talking to the teachers, but I own four apartment buildings. I'm completely financially independent. And those two things really spurred my uh, thinking. And I was a very young teacher. So I started teaching in San Francisco, and my comrades were my former teachers. And one of them pointed his finger at me and says, David, don't talk to me until you bought a house. Those three things just jarred me. And when I started looking at a house, I realized I had some aptitude for real estate. I just learned to finance with with leverage. And then my policy, I have a chapter in my book, Income and Wealth, how a person on minimum wage without any sophistication can become financially independent in 10 years. You save half your salary. You have to reduce your Lifestyle, stop living beyond your means. And every year with leverage, buy an income producing asset. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. You just buy the house next door, don't worry about what it costs. Or buy, uh, buy some trucks and go into the trucking business or buy a corner store. Every year buy an income producing asset. And in 10 years, those loans pay off and the rents go up and you'll be financially independent. And Then you don't care what the economy is doing anymore. You can be an artist. You can be a school teacher. You can open a restaurant, anything you <laughs> They don't make any money. You're free. And that was the one, that's one theme of my book, Income and off I find a lot
1: of people feel that the union's going to take care of us. We're going to get this raise or the government's going to do this or that. And we're going to be just fine. I find a lot of people don't realize that a little too late, but that's not always the case, especially when COVID hit. Some of the school teachers were very concerned because they were going to reduce the number of school teachers because they had budgetary issues or they were having people retire early and things
2: like that. Right. I can tell you two things. One, you can't really count on your pension or social security. In America, you probably can. But I know the, I was in Greece when the euro crisis hit. Now I'm talking to school teachers, and they told me their pensions we cut in half. That's how Greece solve their problem. Whatever they thought they're getting, they're getting half. That could happen here. We have a budget deficit that beyond uh, where all income taxes go to pay the interest on the budget. There's nothing left to pay the budget. <laughs> There's no mm-hmm. money. Social no securities pay for by borrowing. And then if we have no money left to even pay for that, we're just paying interest,
0: we're through.
1: You're right, because we're already seeing that because Social Security has a mandatory 25% cut if they're not able to hit at least 75% of that payment. That's expected to happen in what, a little more than 13 or 14 years, unless something's done. I understand where you're coming from. I think it's very, very important that people take those to heat, so to speak. Now, you're not only a longtime teacher, but you're also a longtime student. who went back to college to study
2: Politics, mathematics, finance, is that right? Many adults, you know, go back to school. I took the LSAT. I was sitting in a law class and I'm reading the law books. In the introduction to the law books, I found so interesting the theory of law. I realized I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I'm interested in the theory. If I'm interested in theory, why don't I study something I know about money? I walked out of the class went to Golden Gate University in San Francisco and says, I want to study economics. I have a graduate degree. So I started off with a graduate class in economics. And I go, whoa, I can't do this. I went back to economics one. And <laughs> I, said, I need more math. I went back to algebra. <laughs> I took every single class that school had to offer, 67 units in a row in math and economics and government. And then I wrote my book
1: that's great you know what a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of foundation that goes into economics
2: obviously you learn the quick way (laughs) and i didn't go for a doctorate because beyond the master economics is a lot of crap
1: (laughs) yeah i I understand that i I took economics in college and, and all that yeah but there there's some basics there that really help people understand what's going on so we're gonna to have to go to break real quick here. I'm getting involved with talking to Dave Parker. and when he's talking about his book is Income and Wealth. Stick with us, we're gonna be right back.
0: More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on The Saving With Steve Show. Don't
1: let your financial woes keep you up at night and prevent you from living a life of financial and personal freedom. Hi, I'm Steve Sexton, host of The Saving With Steve Show. We're gonna be talking about the ins and outs of money, those financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars, causing stress, keeping you up at night. We're gonna talk about money, tax reduction, saving more, spending less, your investments, risk management, retirement, and everything associated with you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. So if you've ever dreamed of living a life of financial and personal freedom, you owe it to yourself and your family to tune into The Saving With Steve Show. Join me, Steve Sexton, on The Saving With Steve Show as we talk about everything under the sun when it comes to money. To learn more about the show, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us. Savingwithsteve.us. We'll see you soon.
0: Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving With Steve Show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Saving with Steve show. I truly want to thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you letting your friends and family and members and associates know about the show. All the replays are available at savingwithsteve.us. If you're enjoying the stories of helpful information and insights on saving with Steve, then I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube, uh, Spotify and Apple Play channels so you never miss a show. And check out a few of our affiliates at UK Health Radio, BBS Radio, Talk Radio in New York City, E360 TV, Las Vegas TV Network. All these networkers are dedicated to empowering you to solve problems, flip your spirit, and live a life of personal and financial freedom. You can also follow us at Facebook and join the Saving with Steve Sexton and Club so you can get all the extra replays, access to guest gifts, And, you know, take your life to the next level. We're back here with Dave Parker. He's got this wonderful new book called Income and Wealth. I want to say this right now. The the book's on Amazon. It's a 4.6 stars out of five, which is great. You can buy it there. Dave, one of the big questions I want to ask is everybody gets inspired to do something. What inspired
2: you to write the book? I've been carrying around the idea that income and wealth are two separate matters since the age of 12. And I just wanted to get to the heart of that. And I realized that one's economic goal should be financial independence, because then you can really be whatever you want. Your plan B can become plan A. You can be an artist. You can be a school teacher. You can open a restaurant. Even if you make no money, you're doing what you want to do in life, because acquiring wealth is a different, a separate skill. However, that skill doesn't have to be so sophisticated. I'm a sophisticated investor. But if you're a minimum wage employee at McDonald's, for example, I have a chapter on that. I give you a detailed spreadsheet on amortization, payoff, and everything and tax depreciation, how you save half your income and just purchase an income-producing asset that might be the house next door. Not even worrying what it costs, just buy it. Every year, buy it. A house or buy a store or buy a, some trucks and go into the delivery business or stocks. Buy an income producing asset blindly for 10 years. And if it's too expensive, I'm in San Francisco, do it with your spouse, do it with your family, friends. Just get partners if you can't afford it. Don't make an excuse because you're living in an expensive location. In 10 years, you'll be financially independent. There'll be enough income generated, the loans pay off. The rents go up. Things go in your favor. You don't have to be sophisticated about it at all. You don't have to have any negotiating skill. And I'm a living example. I didn't make it up. My whole life, I'm a professional investor because i made mistakes in negotiating and I learned from my mistakes. You have to put in time. You can't just... Oh, yeah. Life's about making mistakes and learning from them. My whole life. I never earned more than 20000 a year. I never spent less than 100000 and I never purchased less than a million dollars worth of real
1: estate. So here's a question I have for you. Over the past years, we've all turned to the government for help of various kinds. But in your book, you argue that the role of government in our lives should be limited. How do we track the difference between proper balance, in your opinion?
2: People in business do not care what government does. The laws of money and economics are timeless, and you just go around every piece of legislation, and the middle class pays for everything. You can't tax the poor, they don't have money, and you can't tax the rich, they won't give it to you. They know it's coming, their accountants won't let it happen. You can't get money from the rich. A company like Apple is headquartered in Ireland if all its money is on Jersey Island. In the English Channel. Most big companies, the money's offshore. That's how one way the market goes around. So the middle class pay for higher taxes, they pay for higher consumption, the higher price of goods and services that are passed along every piece of government legislation. They should stop doing that. Government should cut itself in half across the board, give everybody back their income taxes, let them purchase the things they want in life, and their standard of living will. Rise two, three times. And we're afraid to do it. So we have to crash before it happens.
1: Nobody likes a crash, though. (laughs) We've had the pandemic here. When societies experience upheaval and turmoil, it also can be a time to make changes for the better. You've been very critical, say, to the, the public's education in America. What are some of the changes you believe should be
2: implemented with education here in America? Education standards have dropped. As a teacher, I will verify that they have dropped in half since when I started in the early 1970s because I taught the same class all the way through. I taught young kids music, and I know what I started off with, and I would inquire at the end of my teaching because they could not do more than half of what I started. We would drop the standards because we were so afraid of uh, flunking students or disciplining students or sending them home. Curriculum was so Eurocentric that that was the reason students were failing. And in fact, students are failing because they're not studying, and the standards are not high. I'm living in Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area. They're screaming because they can't get employees. They're importing them from India and Asia. American public schools are not turning out students who are capable of working in the workforce. This country's on a rig really is going down in that respect. Mm-hmm. And the public schools are not, have no core curriculum nationwide. We're not teaching students the history and culture of British and American democracy, which is really a great thing. Why we're such a stable and prosperous country. We're teaching everything else. We're teaching about the bad things this country has done, which is fine. We have done bad things, but instead of that being Portion of the curriculum is the body of the curriculum. Young students come home from tell the parents. I hate America. I'm telling you, I'm teaching in the public schools, inner city public schools. We are on a very bad track. In addition to
1: being a scholar, a teacher, an investor, an author, you've also a talented jazz musician. Has being a musician helped you in these
2: other aspects of your life? Yeah, my teaching, my mm-hmm. jazz. My uh, investing and my writing are spontaneous and they're uh, creative and they all reinforce each other. The jazz group is really, I uh, have some of the best musicians in town. We headlined a couple of years in a row in the Fillmore uh, Jazz Festival in San Francisco. If one soloist plays a solo he played last, I stop him. You did that last time. Nobody repeat themselves. <laughs> go, go with the flow. Keep open. If a waiter drops a dish on the floor, i point to the drummer, hit your cymbal, mimic that. Next guy, go in, come into the soul, just go with the loan. And in business, uh, I've made some very good investments on instant and timing and judgment, minus a few errors. (laughs) Well, we
1: all have errors. That's a good thing though. You can't win at everything and you learn from the things that don't go as well as you planned, but You've been around long enough to where you figured out how to put plans in place that mitigate the risk or the errors that you made.
2: All you listeners who want to get ahead in life, if they don't persevere, they're not going to do it. You have to get in there and do it and make mistakes. You're negotiating, you were talking about earlier, and you make a mistake. Just write down what you did wrong and don't do it the next time. When I apply for bank loans, I never go to the bank that I want to. To make the loan, I go to another bank and make all my errors with the bank that I'm not going to go. Then I go to my bank and apply for my loan. That's a good note
1: because a lot of people will go look for loans here and there and they'll go to their primary bank and they get turned down. They don't know why. But if they were to figure out what the issues are, they can take care of them and then present properly because a lot of people don't realize it's just presenting you in a certain fashion so they say you're a good person so we're going to lend you the money and that's it the first time you do it or the second time you do it you might not have it all presented properly and they say no but that's okay because sometimes they have they say third
2: time's a charm (laughs) yeah so the first bank that you went to you asked them how come you turned me down well you asked for this and this that's against our policy They go okay i'm not going to say that again You don't have to be so sophisticated, but you just have to persevere and stay in it. Hey, David, I want to thank you for sharing yourself with us today
1: and talking about your book, Income and Wealth. Where can people go find your book besides going to Amazon? They might enjoy my website, davidparkeressays.com. Okay, so that's David Parker Essays.com. So if you'd like to find out more about David Parker, go to David Parker Essays.com. If you're looking for the book, either go to Amazon or David Parker Essays.com. David, again, I want to thank you for joining us. I wish you health and happiness. Stay safe and healthy out there. Okay.
2: Thank you very much. If they go to David Parker Essays, they can tap on to David Parker. You can hear a tune or two. Oh, cool. Hey, I appreciate
1: it. You have a great day. Hey, everybody. That was David Parker. You want to get his book? It's on Amazon. It's called Income and Wealth. It's a wonderful book. Has some wonderful insights. More importantly, you can learn a very simple way because you can tell from Dave's talking, he's a very simple guy about how to build income and wealth. And as he said before, if you follow what you see in the book, you can probably be there in 10 years or less, which is great, especially if you're in your 20s or 30s. That's a great goal. So thanks, David. Thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Everybody, hey, stick with us. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking about how to prevent yourself from getting hooked up in those romance scams. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back.
0: More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on The Saving with Steve Show.
1: Don't let your financial woes keep you up at night and prevent you from living a life of financial and personal freedom. Hi, I'm Steve Sexton, host of The Saving With Steve Show. We're going to be talking about the ins and outs of money, those financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars, causing stress, keeping you up at night. We're going to talk about money, tax reductions, saving more, spending less your investments, risk management, retirement, and everything associated with you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. So if you've ever dreamed of living a life of financial and personal freedom, you owe it to yourself and your family to tune into The Saving With Steve Show. Join me, Steve Sexton, on The Saving With Steve Show as we talk about everything under the sun when it comes to money. To learn more about the show, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us. Savingwithsteve.us. We'll see you soon.
0: Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving With Steve Show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton.
1: Hello, I want to welcome you back. Wasn't David Parker wonderful, simple, basic, He's a teacher who figured it out early, didn't make much money, but turned it into a lifestyle of wealth and income for himself, got to live the life that he loved. We're going to be talking about something that's really important. What a lot of people don't realize is that according to the FBI, there's been over 1,800 complaints about online romance scams from January to August of 2021. In fact, the FBI said that thousands of people filed complaints is resulting in over $133 million in losses in just the first eight months of the year. This is crazy. These victims were coerced into sending money digitally or trading cryptocurrency for another person. Basically, what happens is a scammer's initiating contact is typically made via dating apps or other social media sites. The scammers gain the confidence and trust of their victims through establishing an online relationship, and claim to have knowledge of cryptocurrency, investment, trading of opportunities that will result in substantial profits. The scammers direct the victims to a fraudulent website and or application for an investment opportunity. After the victim has invested an initial amount on the platform and sees an alleged or somewhat of a profit, the scammers allow the victim to withdraw money from the account further gaining the victim's trust. Now, think about this. All they're doing is say, hey, invest in this. You made some money. Take it out. Invest more money because you now have my trust. They'll ask them to invest larger amounts of money and often express an act fast type approach, okay? When the victim is ready to withdraw the funds again, the scammer creates a reason why this cannot happen. Even more, funds are extracted from the victims when cybercriminals say there's additional taxes or fees that need to be paid. Some scammers include customer service groups to siphon off far funds from the alleged victim, and they generally stop communicating or answering the message when the victims run out of money. The FBI said earlier this year that this is one of the biggest complaints that's occurring, and you want to make sure you know this. It just isn't happening in the United States. Interpol had a similar release that was done in January. Just so you know, they've made some progress. In July, Houston, Texas, two people, they got jailed for seven years over romance scams and business scams, netting them $2.2 million. A former army reservist was sent to three and a half years for conducting romance and email compromise scams. The privacy advocate at Comparitech. That in 2020 alone reported romance scams reached $304 million, a 50% increase over 2019. The FBI actually reported $475 million in losses in the same year from scams. Federal Trade Commission actually believes romance scams, the number's even larger, because people are ashamed to actually report it. The reality is the majority of people who are scammed are women over the age of 50, according to the FBI? Given the elder fraud is a hugely underreported, the real figures are likely much higher. The scam started dating ads, social media, where they approach the victim, groom them for the process. You know what? These things involve what's called love bombing or showering the victim with affection to make them feel infatuated. The next step involves things like the victim sending something that the scammers can use against them, such as a compromising photo. So you got somebody encouraging them to send you a sexy photo or something like that. Scammers often try to trick the victim into sending money. Victims can also be used as a mule for money laundering or smugging illegal goods elderly, often the prime targets of these type of scams, especially during this COVID-19 process, because so many people have been socially isolated and in need of personal connections. You know what? The reality is these romance scams are what's called a slow play. I mean, they often go on for long times with victims continue to send money even after they realize they're being scammed due to the romantic feelings they have for the scammer, or because they're actually being blackmailed. Romance scams have long been a go-to method for cyber criminals to steal money and valuable information from people. US military members lost $92 million through scams for over a four-year period ending in 2021. Their average loss is about $2,500. They don't have much. That means they scammed a lot of military people. Now, let's just talk about what the romance scams are all about. I'm going to give you the step-by-step. You want to take notes or listen to this a couple of times. And the reason being is, if you can start identifying the times and what's going on and take emotion out of it, you have the ability to identify what's going to happen to you. Because the reality right now is there's a lot of people dating on all the different online apps. Okay, so here we go. The big takeaway here is this. It's a romance scam. Cybercriminals are on the hunt for potential victims who are looking for love. They follow users on dating sites and social media sites. These criminal enterprises pour through information users share publicly and create a comprehensive persona that weaves in users' likes, dislikes, your emotional triggers, your life. You got to understand it is essentially an open book on social media platforms. All the ones you frequent, they're frequently as well. So they can build this profile. They create a fake online profile that is crafted to meet all the target expectations. And here's the thing. A lot of people think, hey, wow, look at this guy. They're too good to be true. And you know what? And then they're establishing contact. The fake profile has been planned to the smallest detail. and Sure, it catches the target's attention, including the name and photo, okay? They're doing that to target you. The next step is to is left up to the victim. The cybercriminal will wait for the target to show interest and sow the seeds of friendship. By proceeding to showcase how the profiles likes, dislikes through the process perfectly match your own, it's also important to note this is largely a scam of patience. Like I said, they're slow paying you. The relationship will be built over a period of weeks sometimes months, and nurture with large doses of love and affection. Then comes the love. Scammers are well aware that people are generally suspicious these days and will not fall in love easily, especially online. This is why romance scams have evolved in such a way that scammers devote a lot of time to ensure victims trust them and believe the relationship to be the real deal. They'll exchange messages, voice calls, go on online dates are the norm. The reality here is this, when the criminals think the time is right, they're going to ask you for money. They use a reason that they need help to come meet you from a far-off city or even a different country. They also may ask for help with medical expenses or other needs to pay, and they're going to be tugging at your heartstrings. Here are the warning signs. One, the person lives far away and creates a highly engaging reasoning behind him or her being at a location that's thousands of miles away. Sometimes, some things that feels too good to be true is just that. It's too good. Like we mentioned earlier, romance scams are a play on emotions and focus on creating a profile that matches your interests and preferences to the T. Another indicator that online romance is a scam is the speed of the relationship. While scammers do take their time to establish a relationship, the speed is typically still fast, and you'll find consistent overtures made to elicit an emotional response and gain your trust. Beware if someone professes their love quickly or asks you to marry them, or even more personal and exclusive mode of communications. Here's what they're doing. They want to get you off the site. Once they get you off the site, they're going to communicate with the tax. They're going to have phone conversations with you. You got to understand they have it planned to the T and you're just infatuated. So they're going to pull your heartstrings. They're going to get you wrapped around their finger. The big obvious giveaway is they ask you for money to meet a variety of needs. And the other thing is this, whatever money you give them, Can't be tracked back to them. So it's a gift card, cryptocurrency, whatever the case may be. They're going to ask you to do it that way because then it can't get back to them. Here's the big thing, folks. This happens all the time. So it's very, very important that you pay attention to what's going on here. If you suspect that a person is romancing you online and they're a scammer, stop conversation with, break away every line of communication. But what to do if you get reeled in and only later and you've lost the money, you realize you're a victim, this is a difficult time. This is where you need to contact the police. This is where you need to contact your family. I know of four people right now that have gotten involved with these, you know, romance scams. One of them got her, her complete IRA and was so ashamed that she did not tell anybody until she found out she was getting an $150,000 IRS bill because she had to pay taxes on the money from her IRA. That wasn't absolved unless she followed a report with the FBI and notified the IRS. Another one, they were involved. They were just a little lonely. The same thing happened to her. I had one gentleman, he was even married. This one lady took him for over $100,000. It wasn't until the last second that he actually told his wife because he felt like sucked in and she made him feel like he was helping her those things happen just don't let it happen to you this is all about romance scams crypto scams they all happen kind of the same way so make sure you're watching out for this so it doesn't happen to you stick with us we got andreas lars you always wonder how to negotiate that big raise. stick with us we'll be right back we're going to talk to our latest writers the managing partner of the Shapiro Negotiation Institute. You're gonna love this one, so stick with us. We're gonna be right
0: back. More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on The Saving With Steve Show. Don't let your
1: financial woes keep you up at night and prevent you from living a life of financial and personal freedom. Hi, I'm Steve Sexton, host of The Saving With Steve Show. We're gonna be talking about the ins and outs of money, those financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars, causing stress, keeping you up at night. We're gonna talk about money, tax reduction, saving more, spending less, your investments, risk management, retirement, and everything associated with you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. So if you've ever dreamed of living a life of financial and personal freedom, you owe it to yourself and your family to tune into The Saving With Steve Show. Join me, Steve Sexton, on The Saving With Steve Show as we talk about everything under the sun when it comes to money. To learn more about the show, visit savingwithsteve.us, that's savingwithsteve.us, savingwithsteve.us. We'll see you soon.
0: Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving With Steve Show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton.
1: Welcome back to the show. David Parker was just wonderful. Again, don't get caught up in those romance scans. In a recent study by salary.com, 48% of people said they're always apprehensive about the negotiation process. And the reality is whether people realize or not, negotiation is an everyday common activity. However, a lot of times it's like going to the dentist. We dread the process. Why? You have people who aren't properly prepared. They don't understand how a negotiation actually works. They don't know strategies or tactics. And that's why we have Andreas Laris here. He's the managing partner of the Shapiro Negotiation Institute to help us understand what's happening and the strategies we can deploy. Now, a little bit about Andreas here. Besides being the managing partner, he has expertise in dealing with coaching and live negotiations with sports clients like San Antonio Spurs, you know, professional sports teams, athletes. He also works with several capacities around many industries, such as real estate. Media, banking, pharmaceutical. He's published articles in the Harvard Business Review. He teaches classes at universities like John Hopkins, Baltimore, Endicott. We're just lucky to have you here. Thanks for joining us, Andreas. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's so funny. Some of the people in our listeners, I can't say it's funny, but it's a reality. And many people in our viewers, Email. So if you want to add some viewers at savingwithsteve.us, please send in a question. We'll get it answered. They're saying, you know what? I clam up every time I go in to ask for a raise. They don't know why, or they have a relative who thinks they're really good at negotiating a deal with the auto dealer. And that doesn't ever work out the way everybody thinks. And, and they think they're good at it, but they really don't know how. So help us understand what's going on with people who are not prepared not comfortable. The reality is from what I've seen with negotiations, a lot of it just comes down to understanding the process and developing the skill.
3: Absolutely. And a couple of things there. The First of all, it is a skill. And it's like a muscle, right? And so you can improve it. And you can work on it just like you would any other muscle. And so I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind. Even when we talk about you know, why is it that people do claim up? And so there's a couple of reasons. We've studied this over the years and we find that Generally, one of the most common is that sort of fear of getting a no, right? So you put yourself out there, you ask Steve for something in in the case of many, in this particular case, sort of that raise, which is sort of a sensitive thing for us because it impacts our livelihood and also because we go into work every day. And so we might have to see this person every day after asking. And so there's that fear of rejection. But what's interesting is surprisingly, it's also the other side of it too, that if that's not typically the number one fear, the number two fear is you almost push too hard, you get what you want, but as a result, you rule the relationship. So during in that process, you push too hard to get that salary and the salary costs you the relationship with your colleague, with your boss, with HR, whoever it may be. So those are the two most common ways. And, and what's interesting is if we go about it the right way, we're able to avoid those two fears. So even if if we get it, we don't damage the relationship. And if we don't get it, we don't necessarily damage the relationship either. And it's more about the way you do it, the process than anything else.
1: Oh, okay. So the other part is, is there a process that people should be looking at? How does that work?
3: Absolutely. So the first thing that comes to mind is when you're thinking about negotiating and you're thinking about influencing and and sort of all these soft skills, it's important to remember that people make decisions emotionally. And then they justify them rationally. So first of all, when you're making the request, I think a lot of us will leave with logic. And so we say, here's why I need to raise. And we list out five things. And so what we need to take into account is, first of all, empathize for the other side. You know, Why would they or why would they not give you a raise? So you're thinking about it from their perspective, not just your own. And also the fact that often it's not the logic that's going to convince them. Now, the logic may be used later for Steve to tell his colleague or his boss or his boss's boss, whoever, this is why we did it. But the question is, you know, why do we really do it? And typically, these are emotional decisions. That's one thing. And then from a process perspective, so we often teach essentially thinking of negotiation as a three-step process. It's not perfectly linear, but prepare, probe, propose. And if you remember those three things, first of all, preparation is about really being efficient and effective, right? So we're not going to convince generally folks to spend a an enormous amount of time preparing, just like athletes generally, not always, but generally don't like practice, right? They like to play the game. And so when we try to be efficient and effective, we do that by having a process. So can you prepare the same way? And so one thing that I would say to members out there listening would be, okay, so follow an acronym of PAID. So if you want to get paid, you got to prepare PAID. So think about the precedence. So have I seen this before? Alternatives, you know, what other options do I have? And what other options do they have? Interest, like what do I really want? Which sounds pretty obvious, but oftentimes we're not even sure. And then more importantly, what do they really want? And are we making assumptions or do we really know that? And then finally deadlines. And so this can be combined with a timeline, but is there a deadline for this, right? And so we can work backwards to create a timeline. So from a preparation standpoint, is a little uh, easy acronym to remember, PAID can be helpful. And then probing, that's a big part of why interests are so important in the preparation. The best negotiators, although we often say, oh, I talked them into this. And we imagine is going to the flea market and coming up with a really good deal because we, you know, we tell a compelling story. And the reality is it's more so about asking great questions. And that's because it both helps us to uncover the needs and the interests of the party. But also, it's really sort of a bond. It's a way to develop a relationship. If you think of people that you really enjoy speaking with, for the most part, it's because they listen to you. And so that's a big part of it. And then finally, propose is sort of the most tactical in nature. And it's sort of the hardest to provide specific guidelines for. But one of them is to aim high. And to aim how high? Well, to aim as high as you can essentially support with your precedence, which loops again all the way back to that preparation. And and one last point about that process is preparation is obviously some people understand that improves it and they don't do it, but the thing about preparation is not only does it help you perform better because you know the market more, you know what you're willing to do and what they're willing to do. But the thing that people don't understand is preparation also makes you more confident. And the more confident you are, the more likely you are to persuade others. And, and there's a line we like to say, which is nothing convinces like conviction. And so when you're thinking about preparation and the next time you're negotiating, especially a salary, when there's so much in the line, prepare and so you can be more aware more knowledgeable and more confident
1: so basically what you're saying if i'm going to take the salary negotiation piece what you're looking at is hey from my boss's perspective what do they really need from me Mm -hmm. so they'd be open to paying me more money so this might be one of those things where hey i'm performing real well i should just get a raise that doesn't always work out well or would it be, I'm already doing these things and performing well, but I can add these things if you will pay me more money. Is it something like that? Could you kind of exactly. walk us through the, like the, so, uh, a profile? I mean, obviously somebody's not going to take this and just go right in there and negotiate something, but could you walk through kind of a scenario for a mid-level manager type situation where the guy needs a 10% increase in pay. And how would somebody go about doing that and looking at it from other people's perspective? That emotional intelligence from the other side is the thing that I think a lot of people lack.
3: Absolutely. It's the toughest to do, right? Because you think about how important a raise is to us. And so it's so critical. We're thinking about us, 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 and, and we forget about the other party. You know, It's dehumanized, right? The concept that Like it's just the company, it's the company with deep pockets and budgets and it's not a person versus we're a person. So yeah, let's walk through an example. So if you're a mid-level manager and you're looking to get a raise. So first of all, if you think of some of the preparation, now more than ever, we have so many tools at our disposal, the salary.coms and the pay skills and everywhere else to look up comps. The first step you should do is whatever websites you're using, multiple websites to figure out, okay, what are people like me getting paid at my company, in my area, and have all that out there. Yeah, ideally you're preparing there because you're thinking about what should you bring up it's the most favorable comps but also what do you expect they might bring up? if potentially they start talking about comps too you don't want to be surprised where you say look at this company i'm getting paid here and all of a sudden they bring up the fact that well look yeah but that's because regionally you know we've got like if you're off in an office in a small town and they most of their offices are in new york city you don't want to be surprised to find out in the middle of that conversation that you just compared yourself to you know others that the cost of living is in New York and you're in a small town or able to work remotely, right? So the idea is really be prepared there. So then you get into, okay, what questions do I want to ask and how do I want to address this? And so you think about, okay, put yourself in the shoes of, of your employer. And so why might they not be interested? So there's a lot of companies, for example, that have bands, right? You're at a director level and the director level pays between X and Y. And so if you're towards the top of that, well, that means that you, now you're not talking about just potentially a raise. To get that raise, you might need to essentially get a title promotion to allow it. Okay, well, that starts getting a little more complicated. Now, doesn't mean it's not doable, but that gets more complicated. So if you look at just that one example, right? There's only one piece of it here. Now I would approach and say, hey, Steve, you know, I'm, I uh, feel like I'm due for a raise for X and Y reasons, and we can talk about that for a sec, what kind of reasons you can use. But for X and Y reasons, and so I understand, you know, generally, my understanding is that, the, you know, the bands did not allow me to get a, this kind of promotion. And so this would go hand in hand with my understanding, also get a promotion from director to senior director. And so I want to start talking about this now, so you're not surprised, can we put a plan in place to do that? So I'm not coming out of the woodwork to, you know, to ask you for this, because I know that can be a big burden for you. So that's just one approach But you think about it. So now you're not asking for right now, you want a timeline, You understand, you've empathized. And so Steve walks away thinking it's a very different approach than Steve, I need a raise of 10%. It's been a long time since I got one. Don't you think I'm due? Well, now all of a sudden, Steve is defensive and wondering you know, why you've sort of come out of nowhere to do that. It puts him in an awkward position.
1: Can I add one thing? The other part that I really thought that was really nice is you enlisted the other person's help in putting together a plan so you can move to the next step. And you might've been alluding to that already.
3: It, perfect. And exactly. And so if you notice that it's a collaboration, right? Steve and I are working together to get to help me get me a raise. It's not me asking for Steve and negotiating against him, it's with him. Right. And so that's definitely a big part of it. And so one thing I skipped over, I want to come back to now is okay, well, what are some of those things you'd say X, Y, and Z reason? And so, for example, the idea is to find objective standards you can point to. So saying that I'm a really good employee is great. And hopefully both sides know that, but it's harder to say like, what is a good employee and what's not, right? right. So for example, you want to point to objective standards. You could say right now, inflation is is increasing.
1: We're going to have to take a break real quick. Hey, you got to listen to this, this is great. so
0: we got to pay some bills, stick with this. We're going to be right back. More about negotiation with Andres Lares. More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on The Saving With Steve Show. Don't let your
1: financial woes keep you up at night and prevent you from living a life of financial and personal freedom. Hi, I'm Steve Sexton, host of The Saving With Steve Show. We're gonna be talking about the ins and outs of money, those financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars, causing stress, keeping you up at night. We're gonna talk about money, tax reduction, saving more, spending less, your investments, risk management, retirement, and everything associated with you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. So if you've ever dreamed of living a life of financial and personal freedom, you owe it to yourself and your family to tune into The Saving With Steve Show. Join me, Steve Sexton, on The Saving With Steve Show as we talk about everything under the sun when it comes to money. To learn more about the show, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us. Savingwithsteve.us. We'll see you soon.
0: Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving With Steve Show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton.
1: Hey, I want to welcome everybody back. I want to thank you for listening, sharing us with your friends and family members. If you'd like to watch this over and over again, you can always go to savingwithsteve.us. Check out a few of our affiliates at UK Health Radio, BBS Radio, New York City. We're back here with Andreas Lars. We're talking about negotiations. Uh, Again, he's the managing partner at Shapiro Negotiations Institute. And we're talking about the four little points that somebody needs to bring up for, hey, why me? Because a lot of people, a good employee, when well, I used to be a director at the Automobile Club, I heard that a lot. <laughs> I'm a real good employee. I've been here for 20 years. Craig, what else did you do? So it was just my perspective. But go ahead. I'd love to hear the rest of what you're saying there.
3: Perfect, Stephen. And I, that's very much true. It's the concept of, like, I'm a good employee. I mean, how many of your employees come up and say, I, I know I'm not the best employee. I'm middle of the pack. You know, I'm average. Not too many, I assume. <laughs> Came to say that. So uh, so the idea is to find objective standards, right? So you can find objective standards that are general. So if you're making an approach and you're asking for a raise, a general objective standard, for example, right now, right? Inflation is increasing. We're at a levels of five or six percent. It's on top of a lot of people's minds. So if you make the same amount of money now as you made a year ago, but well, with inflation, you're making less. So that would be an example of an objective standard where you say, Hey, Steve, I feel like I'm due for inflation because there's, you know, I'm due for a raise, excuse me, because inflation is a factor here. And so that's an objective standard. It's not me asking you, it's sort of keeping up with with, economic realities. And then there's personal ones. And so to do that, you want to try to come up with either, you know, KPIs or key performance indicators or things you can point to that are a little bit more specific. So not so much that, hey, I come in on time, but, you know, this is the kind of growth my group has had. I now manage 25% more team members than I did two years ago, you know, productivity increase, whatever it is you can point to that make it a little bit more objective. And so again, the idea is now you are sort of combining, we talked early on about the emotion. And so now you combine the emotion and the logic, the emotion, you do it by doing sort of an approach that really is personal to the person It's empathetic. So they understand that you've, you've put yourself in their shoes, you understand that it's not going to be something that's easy for them. And you want to work together to make it happen. That's the emotional approach. And the logical approach is, now, what's all that justification here she can use to get it done? And so inflation, you know, the productivity increases, the team growth, revenues for the company or revenues for your team, whatever it may be. Or if you're on the procurement side, cost savings, you know, whatever it could be. And so now you're combining really those two powerful drivers to, to make that happen. And so you talked about the collaborative, which you brought up. You talk about emotion, you talk about logic, objective standards, putting those all together is the best way to do it. And one last piece I would add as a tip. When we talk about negotiating for a salary, because it's so personal, because we don't want to damage the relationship, oftentimes the best way to do it is to sort of put some of those precedents out there. So we go back to what you found online of if you're asking for a raise from X to X plus 5,000, you know, rather than actually ask for that 5,000 more, just share the precedents and then do your best to find a way to not say anything more, you know? So that could be, you know, this kind of role, what I've, see, I've noticed online is generally in this area, they're getting paid $85,000. Let's say you're at $70,000. Now, you're not asking for $85,000 if you're at 70 you are saying that's the precedent that's out there that you found. And as hard as it is naturally, just say nothing. And what you'll notice is, you know, that's a great way to anchor, but without asking it so, so di- sort of aggressively or so directly that it puts them in an awkward spot. And so it's a great way to balance that. So that's one quick tip.
1: Now, when it comes to like, let's talk deadline. You should give a deadline where you'd like to get things done by. Help people understand the deadline portion of of getting
3: paid. So the deadline portion, so first of all, it is best to avoid sort of, you know, false deadlines as much as possible. So the arbitrary, like Steve, I need a raise by next month. If they ask you why next month and you don't have a good answer, then you probably don't want to create that deadline in the first place. So rather than a deadline in that case, if there isn't a real deadline, you want to create a timeline and a timeline is really important because that's what keeps the process moving. Hey, Steve, you know, that collaborative approach example we talked about earlier, can we put a plan in place? And so, you know, Steve will say, okay, yes, or whatever he says, okay, let's put a meeting in the books next week to talk about specifically, you know, the timeline for this race. And so then you have that meeting. And then in that meeting, okay, the next step is let's put a meeting in two weeks where we each come up with our suggested plans and moving forward, what the raise will be and exactly when. and then you keep moving forward. And so what happens is you notice that you're putting a timeline in place and ideally you sort of set it generally at the beginning and then very specifically throughout, because otherwise I think we could all relate, whether it's a raise or if you're a salesperson or whatever it is, you know, we agree. Is that a good idea, Steve? Yes, it is. Let's do that. And then two months passes and you think of, hmm. We actually, we never circle back on that raise idea. And then you start feeling bad. Oh, I don't, do I really bring it up? And we talked about it. I'm not sure where I left it. And so that's where I think a timeline is really important. And so a deadline, if there's a real deadline, great. You know, if end of the year for a specific reason, if you've got another job offer, great. But if there isn't a real deadline, try to avoid creating false deadlines because they can often sort of explode and, and uh, it can be egg on your face.
1: I think it's wonderful what you just said because a lot of people don't realize you might have to lead your boss through yep. that process. And I'm glad you made it really clear that not to give a deadline, but to develop a timeline to make it occur.
3: And one of the things that I really liked about what you mentioned there is if there's a there's a disconnect there in the rally, right? It's your salary is your livelihood, but your salary is one of the salaries of your manager or the HR person. And it could be one of one maybe, and then it's pretty important, but it could be one of two or one of 5,000. And so what happens is disconnect, and that also leads to, it's a more, it's the prioritization is different, and so are the emotions. And so one other piece to our preparation that's really important is it helps you to sort of keep your emotions in check, right? And so I really like sort of what you just shared there, because that is the reality that Steve's not always thinking about my salary. He doesn't wake up in the morning thinking about it, while I may, especially if I really need that increase, or I really think I'm due. what we want to do is we don't want to lose that empathy. It's unlikely, I mean, in a few scenarios it is, but it's unlikely Steve's doing his best not to give me a raise. It's just not the same priority. And so I think that's the piece that's balancing your own emotions can be very helpful because all too often we come in charge where we really need a raise. And then we have that conversation and maybe a week or two or three passes and we haven't had it yet. And Steve didn't purposely do that, just slip through the cracks. And almost you're really to blame as much as Steve is because the reality is If you stayed on it, as you said, and created a timeline, it probably would have happened. In many of those cases, you probably thought it was fair for those employees to get a raise, but things came up and and sort of fell to the wayside. So I think it's a great example. And it's really important to really keep your emotions in check and and have some perspective on it.
1: Just thinking back while we were talking there, when somebody puts a timeline on things, you start looking at it like a project you got to get done. And Mm -hmm. for the people who did that, they got their raise and their promotion and the things that went along with that in a short period of time. But some of them took six months or nine months because they didn't stay on top of it. And I was just too busy. One of the things I'd like to talk about with the rest of the time that we have is tell us about the programs that you have. So our listeners and where can people get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, sure. So and it is. We're negotiating everywhere, right? And so, like you said, it's not just to used cars of fleet market, it's your salary and it's for a house and it's for you know, it's about everything. To get a hold of us, Shapiro Negotiation Institute's website is sniteam.com or negotiations.com. So, the short form is a little easier to send us an email. It's sni at sniteam.com. But as far as our program, you know, really for us, it's we've been around for 26 years and we did classroom training for the first 14. And now it's been 12 years of both classroom and live online training. And so we feel very fortunate when COVID hit. It's been a difficult two years for everybody. But the one blessing for us was that we already did, you know, live online training. So it allowed us, if anything, almost opened up our reach where now we do more international work than ever, because online, really, you're not necessarily, you know, the, the borders don't affect you as much and there's no travel costs. So well, for us, the approach is experiential, engaging and practical training. That's really at the foremost of everything. And then generally most of our work is custom for companies. So that's mm-hmm. our focus as we come into companies and we train them so that it's custom and really has an impact on their bottom line. So that's that's a little bit about us.
1: What about the app?
3: It's available on, on the App Store for both Apple and Android. So Google Play is free. You can pop in and you get a preparation checklist, which has P-A-I-D, as we talked about, and a few more things. And it also gives you a lot of our content as sort of a refreshers and to learn more in video, text, and audio format. So whatever style, we know people learn differently. So you pop in, then you can learn about any of the subtopics by clicking it. And you can choose every time. If you want to get a video on it, just listen in, you know, podcasts that made audio cool again, or, or just read it for yourself. That's where we are there.
1: That's wonderful. Could you tell everybody where they can go get connect with you guys one more time, please?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, Shapiro, S H A P I R O, negotiations.com. And just in case, I'll throw in our phone number in case that's used anymore. You know, it's probably all email and websites, but it's 410 662 4764 and 410 662 4764. So, we're Baltimore based, so we got that 410 number.
1: Perfect. Andreas, I want to thank you for being here. Everybody, this is Andreas Laris, the Shapiro Negotiation Institute. Uh, we're so happy you're here because this is a skill that everybody needs. It doesn't matter how old you are, because it'll make a difference in your life. And it is about the ins and outs of money. Trust me. With that, I want to thank you for joining us, Andreas. I hope everything stays safe and healthy for you and your business continues to prosper.
3: Same to you, Steve. Thank you very much for having me.
1: You're welcome. You have a great day. We'll see you. Be safe, be healthy
3: you too see
1: ya bye-bye hey everybody that was andreas Lars shapiro negotiation institute wasn't that outstanding that is something if you're looking at negotiating for a job negotiating for additional wages compensation for travel at home office whatever the deal is you want to go check that out more importantly you notice they got a free app so go there we had a great show today with david parker going in on romance scams thing to avoid don't get caught up in that and how to negotiate with Andreas Lars. Hey, you have a great time. Be safe, be healthy. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Saving With Steve show, hosted by Steve Sexton. To learn more about the show and how to become a guest or sponsor, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us. Join us again next time as we continue to talk about everything under the sun that relates to you having a healthier, happier relationship with money. This has been The Saving with Steve Show, hosted by Steve Sexton.